Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 14. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's work day coming up that put this message on my mind. I've, I've, had, uh, I've had this in my notes for about a year and a half to preach. And I don't know if it's work day or all of the sickness that's been going on this year. But the Lord has dealt with me, and so I, I finally felt a release tonight to preach this message. And it's going to be uh, a little bit of a challenge for some. For some of you, you're already walking in this lesson. But I believe we could all use a reminder from time to time. Matthew 8 and 14, if you have that, say amen. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. This is, of course, Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 15, and Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. And she arose and ministered unto them. And so I'm preaching tonight, she arose and ministered. She arose and and ministered. Can we put our Bibles down and let's lift our voices and, and ask the Lord to help us. God, in your name, we felt your touch in such a dynamic way. We thank you for the baptism that took place this morning, the waters that were stirred for, for Lord touching Brother Bryant with the Holy Ghost. And God, I thank you for what we feel right now in this place. But I pray, Lord, that we would go beyond the shout and that we would receive your word with gladness. Every part of your word, Lord, that there would be nothing withheld from us and that we would walk in it with gratitude. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I need you to be with me from the beginning because I promise you I'm not going to preach long. In fact, I'm going to give you the entire thesis of this sermon right at the beginning, and then I'm going to spend a few minutes trying to convince you that it is true. Are you all ready? Here we go. God does not save us so that we can sit around and do nothing. God does not give us victory so that we can live like a victim for the rest of our lives. Because God delivers, we can do unto others. Because God saves, we can serve. Because God gives miracles, we can minister. Because God gives provision, we can provide. Because God gives blessings, we can be a blessing. God gives so that we can be givers. Because God loves us, we can and must love others. For God so much loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we walk in the love of God. And because we have partaken of the love of God, we radiate the love of God into the lives of those around us. Because God has forgiven us, we can and we must forgive others. If we want to be forgiven, we must be forgivers. Miracles should always produce a ministry. And the served should always become 
servants. I, uh, a few years ago, I, I came into contact with a family, and it was not in church. It was outside of church. I was going about my business, and this has happened to me on several occasions where I would just be in a store or I'd be in a business doing something, and uh, someone would come up to me and say, are you a, a preacher? And, and I would say yes, and it always shocks me a little bit uh, because maybe to some of people's chagrin, I, I don't necessarily wear a suit and tie all week long. Now, pastor mows the lawn in a suit and tie. If he's going to mow the lawn, he's going to be in a suit and tie, but uh, that's, that's not my personality. And, uh, and so I, I don't spend the entire week in a suit and tie, but it doesn't matter. I can be in work clothes, and, and someone will almost inevitably walk up. I think it might be because I'm losing my hair or because my voice always sounds like I chewed gravel or something like that. And they'll say, are you a preacher? And, and I'll say yes. And, and very, very often they will say, are you a Pentecostal preacher? And I'll say, yes, I am. And they'll say, do you have the Holy Ghost? And I'll say, why, yes, I do. That's... Uh, part of what it means to be Pentecostal. And uh, we believe that he poured out the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost and he's still pouring it out right now. In fact, we have Pentecost every Sunday at our church. We just believe in that and we walk in that and we're thankful for that. And, and uh, this happens quite a bit. And so I was talking to someone a while back and they asked all of those questions and they said, you know, I, I was sick with cancer many years ago. And I started looking for a church that believed in miracles. And so I, I found a Pentecostal church. And I've heard many stories like this. Some of you probably have as well. And, and I, I called and I asked them, do you believe in miracles? And they said yes. And I requested the preacher to come, the pastor to come and pray for me. And he did. And, and God healed me of cancer. The doctors were astounded. I was astounded. No one was more surprised than me, but God healed my body of cancer. And, and of course, that's an amazing testimony, and that's something wonderful to hear. And then I always ask them, I say this, well, do you go to church now? And very, very often, they will respond and say, no. I was healed, but then I just lost track, lost my way. This happened often in Jesus' ministry. This is uh, frustrating to our, our minds because it's hard to imagine as a child of God receiving something like that from the Lord and then not going directly into a relationship with God where you become a servant, where you have the heart for ministry. But this happened all the time. Many people rejected Jesus even after he healed them. In fact, one theologian wrote, and I read just last night, that when they brought Jesus before Pilate and then Pilate gave them the option between Jesus and Barabbas being crucified. And when the people began to shout with one loud voice, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus, there is no doubt that there had to be a large number of people in that crowd shouting crucify Jesus who had in fact been healed in the ministry of Jesus. 
Because there's something about our human nature that if we don't allow our flesh to be crucified, if we don't allow gratitude to enter into our hearts, a miracle will come into our lives and the supernatural can touch our lives and yet we will never allow it to produce a ministry. We will never allow it to cause us to go and, and wash our, his feet with our tears and, and, and dry his feet with our hair. There, there will never be that moment if we don't open up our heart and, and allow gratitude to flood our minds where we allow the miracle to do more than just touch our physical body. Because miracles were never designed or intended to just be something that touches our physical bodies. In fact, miracles were designed not only to display the deity and, and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was also designed to do a work in our own hearts where we cry out to God and say, Thank you, Lord. I've, I've experienced your touch. I've experienced your power. And now I bow myself at your feet. I have been changed forever. By the touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody ever been touched supernaturally by the hand of the Lord tonight? In almost every area of Jesus' ministry, we see a sense of urgency displayed. Jesus compelled people to give immediate responses. This reality convicts me as a preacher because oftentimes I fear that we have come to view the things of God as progressive rather than instant. What I mean by that, we are uncomfortable asking people to react quickly to the touch of God. And yet Jesus almost always demanded an instant response from people. One of the things that I think of as, as I grow older, the way that church has changed. And I'm, this is a Sunday night and we're a smaller crowd tonight and this is the choir. I'm preaching right to the choir and I'm not ashamed to do it. But I'll tell you what I've noticed in, in my short lifespan. The way that church has changed, there was a time when we would preach the gospel and we didn't think anything of asking a sinner to come to the altar all by himself. We didn't think anything of, of calling a sinner out and saying, this is your opportunity to respond. This is your moment to respond. And, and, uh, and we have grown uncomfortable as a culture, not just as churches, but as a culture demanding anything pastor preached this morning about how our culture our changing postmodern culture tries to silence the voice of the church where the world can have their opinions and they can wear them on their t-shirts and they can be loud and they can stand with their signs and they can shout the church down and if the church responds and said no this is what the word of the lord says we're called bigots or hateful or something of that nature and yet i want you to understand that the church cannot be ashamed of the lord jesus Christ we can't be ashamed of what he's done for us I'm not ashamed to be a tongue talker I'm not ashamed to believe that we need to baptize in the only saving name which is the Lord Jesus Christ I'm not ashamed to sing there is power in the name of Jesus I'm not ashamed to go all the way back to the hymnal and sing there is power power wonder working power in the precious blood of the lamb i am not ashamed to say that jesus is the only way to heaven i am not ashamed to say that islam will not save your soul i'm not ashamed to say that buddha will not save your soul I am not ashamed to tell you that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. I am not ashamed to stand up and say that God healed my body when I was just a young man. 
I don't care if anybody laughs at me because I know what God did for me. I know where he brought me from. I remember what it was like the night that God called me to the ministry. I remember the old camp meeting when God said you're going to preach the gospel and I have never been the same because there's something about the power of God. We have to have it. God demands a response. God demands a response. We don't like to be pressured. We don't like people to pressure us. And sometimes preachers are pushed by culture into a corner. And, and culture says you, you don't want to be too dogmatic. You don't want to be uh, too pushy. You don't want to be perceived as as overly harsh, and I understand that everything we do as Christians ought to flow from love. If you preach without love, you are not of God. If you sing a gospel song without love, you are not of God. If you witness without love, you are not of God. Without love, you are none of His. You shall know that you are disciples because you love one another. But can I tell you that if you love somebody and you see them on their way to hell, you better love them enough to grab them and pull them from the flames. You better love them enough to shout, there is danger! You better get out of the building because it's burning down how much would you have to hate somebody to see that they were in a burning building and they didn't even know the building was on fire how much would you have to hate them to not shout get out of the building and if you really love them you might even run into that building and grab them against their will and pull them from the flames I want you to know hell is real heaven is real and we better have a sense of urgency there ought to be something that burns inside of us that says I cannot be quiet I cannot be silent because this world is in trouble Jesus demanded a response. He did, and he does today. When Jesus found Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, he commanded them to lay down their nets and follow him to become fishers of men. He didn't say, I want you to call a business meeting. He didn't say, I want you to go home and discuss it with your wife. He didn't say, I want you to get a committee together and decide whether or not this is a good idea. You just need to decide right now. Are you going to lay down your nets and follow me or not? And they looked at one another and they laid down their nets. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would have taken for them? They just realized, I'm in the presence of something powerful. And I want to get in on this. And they laid them down. They sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. When Jesus forgave the woman caught in the very of adultery he didn't say now go and take a year and get your life figured out and figure out whether or not you're going to live right or not he said no I want you to go and sin no more when Jesus saw Zacchaeus sitting in a sycamore tree he demanded to visit his house that very moment and Zacchaeus said all right Lord let's go back to my house right now some of you need to invite Jesus into your home because you've got 
Because you got your, some stuff in your house that if Jesus showed up physically and walked in your home, you would be embarrassed to let him see it. Somebody needs to say, Jesus, I'm bringing you home from church to my house tonight. We're going to clear some stuff out. We're going to unplug some stuff. We're going to get some stuff taken care of. We're going to get a bonfire together tonight because we have some things in our home that we've got to get cleaned out. Jesus healed the lepers and told them to get to church right now and see the priest. After his resurrection, Jesus told the watching crowd to go right now and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The people that refused to obey Jesus and did not go to Jerusalem, they missed out on the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the upper room. They missed out on the tongues of fire. They missed out on it because they would not immediately respond to what Jesus was was telling them to do I'm preaching to somebody tonight uh, who needs to get up and say Lord uh, I am going to do what you've called me to do on nearly every occasion Jesus demanded an immediate response to his touch if we truly want to be like Jesus we must be busy about the father's business and yet most consumer-minded American Christians are far more worried about earthly business or the cares and distractions of this world to get up and minister. We're too busy to be a blessing in the kingdom. We're too distracted, pleasure-seeking, and pursuing entertainment to labor in the harvest field. We're building wealth that will fade away rather than storing up treasures in heaven. We're seeking after careers and bigger houses and nicer cars rather than investing in heavenly things that will not decay. We want God to bless our house, but we don't want to bless God's house. We want to be served, but we don't want to be a servant. We want sanctification without sacrifice and miracles without ministry. Many come to the house of God asking, what can God do for me? But never ask, what can I do for God? Most people ask, what can God give me? But forget that if they give first, it shall be given unto them good measure, pressed down and shaken together. We receive according to the measure that we give. If you want to be blessed, be a blessing. If you want to receive, be a giver. If you want to be first, you have to be comfortable being last. If you want to be saved, you have to be a servant. And if you want continued miracles, you have to minister. Hesitation to respond to the miraculous properly or unwillingness to obey immediately always resulted in a missed blessing or a missed opportunity. Sometimes my heart breaks when I think of people that I have known and loved who missed out on the blessings of God. They missed out on the calling that God had for their life. They missed out on places and roads that God wanted to take them down because they would not respond when God opened the window. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful when Jesus demanded that he sell all his goods to the poor and follow him. He missed his opportunity to be in the Lord's inner circle. If you look at that text closely, 
it's clear that Jesus was literally calling this rich young ruler to be one of his close disciples, one of his close followers. He used the exact same language that he used when he called Peter, James, John, and Andrew and told them to follow him. It was the exact same vernacular. And yet, this rich young ruler counted the cost and said, I am not willing to do what it takes right now to truly minister and be a part of your kingdom because I'm looking at what it would cost me. I'm looking at the things that I don't want to do rather than what you are calling me to do. In the very next breath, Jesus let people know, listen, if you give, I'm always going to give you more than you gave me. If you sacrifice, I'm always going to bless you more than you sacrifice. You can't out-sacrifice God. You cannot give God. God is always going to bless his people who are willing to surrender everything. If you give everything to God, he's going to give everything back to you because God loves you. He cares for you. He's concerned for you, but he wants to make sure that your money is not an idol, that your time is not an idol, that pleasure seeking is not an idol, that your career is not an idol. He wants to know, do you love me? more than all of the stuff in this world. That's what he wants to know. The Bible tells us that Jesus early in his ministry, shortly after calling Peter, stepped into Peter's home and they looked at Jesus and said, Master, his mother-in-law is very sick. Luke, the physician, is careful to tell us that she had a great fever, meaning that in that day, before modern medicine, the chances were very slim that she would recover from a fever of such magnitude, and they were concerned, and Jesus didn't even hesitate. This is one of the most unique miracles in the Lord's ministry, aside from raising Lazarus from the dead, we see very few accounts of Jesus healing people that were a part of his close inner circle. Most of the people that Jesus healed were people that he did not even know. They were strangers. In fact, many of them were people who just ran to him. The woman with the issue of blood, he didn't know her name. She just snuck up behind him and grabbed a miracle. That's what she did. And then he said, who touched me? Many, many instances where Jesus healed complete and total strangers. Sometimes he even healed people who were not Jewish. And he would even say, I'm not sent to the, under the lost sheep of Israel. I'm sent to, to the, my house, and, and you're trying to come get a miracle. And yet the Syrophoenician woman had her daughter delivered from a devil. And Jesus stepped into this home of people that he loved, and he had compassion on her. And the Bible says that he reached down, and he took her by the hand. He touched her. He lifted her up. Immediately the fever was gone. She was made whole. And this precious woman who was no doubt an elder, an elder in the house. The Bible says, we don't even get her name, but she did something so powerful, something so beautiful, something that every child of God should stand up and take notice of. Immediately after she received her miracle, the Bible says that she arose and ministered. She just got up out of her sick bed. Nobody would have blamed her if she had said, listen, when I get sick, I take as much time as I can. 
And y'all look so judgmental right now. Praise God. You know you do it too. Some of y'all called in to work over a headache last week. And the Bible says that, that she just got up. She just stood up and began to minister. Most likely she began to prepare food for Jesus or, or maybe she was preparing the house, whatever it was. She just caught up and said, there's something that needs done and there's something that I can do and so I'm going to do it. She could have said, I've been sick and so I'm just going to kind of take it easy. But no, she had a heart that said, I have received a miracle and that miracle is leading me to a ministry. I don't care what the ministry is. If I've got to wash his feet, whatever I've got to do, I want to be a minister because I have received a miracle. I want to serve because he served me. I want to touch somebody because he touched me. I want to reach somebody because he reached down and touched me is that the heartbeat of anybody tonight were you saved so that you could serve that's the heartbeat of a child of God if you look down just a few verses later in that very same chapter there is a story that happened just a day or so later it's not a coincidence that Matthew decided to put these stories together not all the gospels mention this particular story but Matthew is careful to put it very close to Peter's mother-in-law being raised up from her sickbed and going immediately into acts of service. The Bible says that Jesus was teaching and a certain scribe came, Matthew 8 and 19, and said unto Jesus, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Now you have to read this carefully because this particular instance does not mean that his father was already dead and he needed to go to the funeral. What he was really saying in the Hebrew vernacular is that, my father is elderly, and so I need to go and care for him until he passes away so I can receive my inheritance. And Jesus said, you're concerned with these earthly things, and, and really you need to be concerned with people who are dying spiritually. But this young man was not willing to immediately respond to the call of Jesus. He said, I want to follow you, just like the scribe. The scribe said, I want to follow you, but Jesus looked into his heart and, and realized that this scribe wanted to be a part of the glory. This scribe wanted to be there when the miracles were happening. The scribe wanted to be there when the powerful preaching was taking place. He, he wanted to be standing in the pulpit when, when the revival was happening, but Jesus looked at him and said, you have a misconception. This is not going to be easy. You're just seeing the highlights, but in reality, you need to know, I don't have a house. I don't have a place to sleep. I don't have money in the bank. I don't have a Mercedes. 
I don't have an inheritance coming. My dad is just a poor carpenter who sacrificed everything to raise me. And you need to know this isn't going to be all fun and games. This isn't going to be counting offerings and just standing up and shouting and having a good time. No, there's going to be sacrifice that takes place. And when Jesus looked at him and said that, the man did not respond and he did not follow Jesus because he counted the cost and he realized, I don't want to immediately do what Jesus is calling me to do. I feel in the Holy Ghost right now that God has been calling someone to this altar in this church right now. God has been calling someone to repentance. God has been calling someone to go deeper. God has been calling someone to step into a new season. God has been calling someone to step into the miraculous. God has been calling somebody to lift up their hand and begin working in the kingdom of God in some capacity and yet you have hesitated. I'm preaching to somebody right now. You better not hesitate any longer because the window of opportunity will not stay open forever no it will not Jesus demands an immediate response if you count the cost long enough you'll be counting by yourself verse 23 always strikes me Matthew 8 and verse 23 after Jesus said follow me and let the dead bury their dead the Bible says that he immediately entered into the ship and his disciples followed him. True disciples don't hesitate. When Jesus steps into the ship and he's about to go to the other side, they know there might be a demoniac over there. They know a storm might come up. They know things might happen that they can't explain, but they don't hesitate. They get in the ship with Jesus and say, whithersoever thou goest, that's where I'm going. Whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. Whatever's got to happen, I want to be a part of it. If there's a prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane, count me in. If there's going to be tears of blood, count me in. If there's going to be groaning, that's okay, count me in. If there's going to be fasting that's okay I want to be a part of that too Lord I want to be a part of what you're doing and so as the musicians come I'm challenging someone tonight as we stand together in this season in our culture it's tempting and as churches grow it's tempting to become disengaged from the kingdom of God it's tempting to say someone else will do it. It's tempting to say someone could do it better than me. It's tempting to say I've already done a lot and I've been sick and God touched me. I'm weary in my body and even though God touched me, I feel like I've done enough. But can I tell you that we need to have the heartbeat of Peter's mother-in-law that is willing to say, Lord... You've done the miraculous in my life. And so I'm going to get up and I'm going to minister. Whatever I have to do. My challenge for someone tonight, become engaged in the kingdom of God like you never have before. Become involved in the kingdom of God like you never have before. Find an area where you can serve. Find an area where you can minister. Find something that you can do for God. Find something 
you can put your hand to. And whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all of your might. In the very next chapter, I'm closing, Matthew chapter 9, the very next chapter. Shortly after Peter's mother-in-law rose and ministered, Jesus looked at his disciples. After looking at the need, Jesus looked out at all of the spiritual dysfunction, all of the false doctrine in Israel, all of the people who were in bondage, spiritual darkness. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, the harvest truly is plenteous. Peter, we don't have a harvest problem. Apostolic Tabernacle, we don't have a revival problem. We don't have a church growth problem. In fact, can I tell you that there is no such thing as a church that is incapable of revival. It's a myth that we tell ourselves. There's no such thing as a burnt over field. The problem is never the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. What we have is a ministry problem. We have a labor deficiency. We have people all across America who have been saved. If you've, if you've partaken of the gospel, I want you to just wave your hand to the Lord right now. If you've received the Holy Ghost, been baptized in Jesus' name. We have churches all across America filled with people who have de been delivered from bondage. If God's ever delivered you from bondage and addiction, I want you to wave your hand as a testimony to the Lord. We have churches full of people who have been delivered. We have churches full of people who have received miracle after miracle after miracle from Jesus. If God's ever healed your body, I want you to just wave your hand as a testimony to the Lord. We don't have miracle problems. We don't have deliverance problems. We don't have salvation problems. We don't have revival problems. We have labor problems. We have people who have been lifted up by Jesus who are lifted up and then they just sat down on a pew. said, I'm content to just be here. I'm just content to show up, wave my hand in gratitude over a miracle every once in a while. But don't ask me to minister. Don't ask me to labor. Don't ask me to sacrifice. Don't ask me to put my nets down. That's my livelihood. That's my career you're messing with now, Jesus. Don't ask me to sacrifice that. Now you're messing with my finances, Jesus. No, 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 no. I'm thankful for the miracle, but you're talking about my money now. 
That's my time. You know, I, I work hard. I have to get some entertainment in. You're not really asking me to go back to church, are you? We're really going to have a Tuesday night prayer meeting? I know I received a miracle, but now I have to pray? You're asking me to go to Bible study and go deeper in the word of the Lord? I just want to shout. You're asking me to teach Sunday school? Well, I'd have to come early. That sounds like sacrifice. Really, Lord? The harvest is truly plenteous. But it's the laborers. It's the laborers that are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Pastor, I'm going to go into your territory here and you can fix it. That word send forth comes from the Greek word ekbalo which means to force out or to thrust push into. Jesus was literally saying pray <laughs> that someone would be thrust. Pray that someone would be allowed to be pushed. I'm not ashamed to preach like this because this is what Jesus said to pray for. He said, pray that someone would be thrust into the harvest field. Pray that someone would be pushed into laboring in the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you what God told me this week. Apostolic Tabernacle would not be able to contain the harvest if we would just see people pushed into laboring. If everybody under the sound of my voice just said, I'm going to do something, no matter how big, no matter how small, I'm not just going to come and sit and say, thank you for my miracle. No, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to minister to somebody. I'm going to find something that I can do for Jesus. I'm going to find some area where I can invest my time, my energy, my talents, my finances into the kingdom of God. There would be no such thing as people who are burned out laboring. Do you know why we have people who burn out in ministry? Because there's usually only about 20% of any given church that are actually ministering, laboring. If every single one of us would bind together. I'm telling you, we would shake the foundations of Atlanta, Georgia. If you believe that, I want you to lift up your hands right now. Lift up your hands and cry out to Jesus. Someone needs to pray for revival. Someone needs to pray for, to the Lord of the harvest. 
Someone needs to pray to the Lord of the harvest tonight. Send forth ministers. Send forth harvesters. Send forth laborers. Put a sickle in my hand, Lord. Put a plow in my hand, Lord. I don't care if I get the glory. I don't care if I get the credit. I don't care if anybody knows my name. I don't care about any of that, Lord. You healed my body. You saved my soul. You delivered me. And now I've got to get out of my pew. And I've got to be busy about the Father's business. I can't just sit here. I can't let the prayer room be empty. I can't let the prayer room be silent. I can't let the altars be quiet, Lord. I'm tired of altars that don't have tears. I'm tired of prayer services that don't have shouting. I'm tired of apostolic services where we are not stepping into the realm of the supernatural. We've got to get busy. I'm asking someone to come and pray. I'm asking someone to come and labor in this altar. I'm asking someone to come and work. This is work. This is labor. I'm asking a harvester to come and labor in this altar right now. I'm asking a prayer warrior to come get to work tonight. I'm asking a prayer work worker to get busy in this altar tonight. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Someone cry out to the Lord of the harvest tonight. This is labor. This is labor. This is labor. This is labor. We're preparing the harvest. Come on, mama, pray. Come on, grandpa, pray. Come on, grandma, pray. Come on, young person, pray. This is how a ministry is birthed. Your ministry is birthed in an altar. Your anointing is birthed in an altar. Your power is birthed in an altar. God's birthing a ministry tonight. God's birthing an anointing tonight. has challenged us tonight. Sister French has been uh, burdened about something and she wants to uh, share it with you and and uh, call for a commitment tonight and just be a moment here but I wanted to, to share this burden with you tonight. Over the last several months the Lord has really been laying on my heart and I, I look at the foundation of this church and and I've looked at the ones that have been so faithful. And they were the ones that Bishop and Sister Cole, they held up their arms and they were the faithful ones. And they were here and they prayed and they came early and they stayed late and they were there. 
And God has blessed us tremendously. We have such a, we are so, so, so blessed with elders. Elders, that generation, my, my parents are of that generation. And, and that generation that understood commitment, that commitment meant sacrifice, commitment meant inconvenience, commitment meant prioritizing your life. Where it was God, church, family, and that was the core that you did everything around. And I've been burdened because I come on Tuesday night prayer and I think, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when we don't have some of our prayer warriors? Some of the ones that have held fast. And the Lord has been burdening me. Pray, pray, pray. I mean, I, I remember the, the days, and I still do it. You know, you come to prayer meeting and you just eat dinner afterwards because prayer meeting is important. Wednesday night church and being in the sanctuary and not out there and, and, and finding a way to let your hands be a part of ministry. But not just busy, but letting the spirit grow deep. So you have something to minister, not just busy about the kingdom, but have something to give because you're growing deep. Grow. And I've been so burdened. We've got to grow. We've got a generation. We've got millennials and up. We've got 50 and younger. And we're talking some, some decades here. We've we got commitments that the Lord is saying, we got to shore up the foundation because there's going to be a passing of a torch. And you got to have hands that are willing to reach out there and take it. You got to have hands that are willing to reach out there and say, I'm willing. I understand that we are living in the last days and we will not win this generation and you will not keep your marriages and you will not win your children if you don't commit in a deep way. So Brother Ryan, Pastor, would it be acceptable to ask for prayer, to step forward for commitment and our, our, our precious our precious senior saints that have been here and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed to, to, to gather around behind them and let's pray that the mantle will pass. The mantle, God wants it to. He's got, he's got a plan, but you have to be willing. Pass the mantle. Open up your, open up your heart, your lives, your commitment to receive and, and to be committed to help this church not to dwindle because you know what we can be busy but if we aren't on our knees and committed then 
It's just going to be, there's a lot of churches out there that are growing. It's not about the numbers. It's about, we need leaders. We need leadership. We need people that are stepping forward and saying, I will commit my life. And that means I'm going to bring my life up to a level. Let's bring our life up to a level where we can be leaders. We've got babies coming in. We need people that will bring their life up to a leadership where they can reach out to somebody and they can help us carry the babies. So if you're, if you're, uh, if you're 40, uh, 50 years and not 50 years, 40 and under, if you're 40 and under, would you come? If you're willing to commit yourself tonight, if this message about the laborers and the harvest, if you are ready to commit yourself, would you come closer to the front? And with those that have committed themselves behind and you've been so faithful and you've prayed and you've worked for the kingdom for years and you were the one that made the peanut brittle for years and you were the one that you've been there in the Sunday school class for years and years and you've been there for every work day that ever was and you came early and you stayed late and you locked up and you've done those things for years but we've got to have hands that are willing, lives that are willing. Moms, we've got to have moms that are willing to teach their daughters how to live holiness. And I'm going to tell you what. When I see your daughters not dressing holiness, you know who it's fault it is? It's not mine. It's the moms. Okay? It's the moms. You need to look in their closet. You don't start when they're 15 teaching them how to live holy. You start when they're little. You start teaching them what it means and you start teaching and instilling godly values in their life it's not going to happen if you don't step up and I'm going to tell you something if you don't step up when they're 21 and 22 and you say I raised them in the church then I in my heart I'll be going yes but I tried to tell you I tried to tell you that you've got to teach them you've got to show it you've got to, you've got to be consistent with it you've got to let them understand and teach them the value of modesty and godliness and holiness. It's such an important thing. We can't let those things go. Pastor, Brother Ryan, would y'all lead in prayer? All right. Elders, could we stand all across the building and could you just reach your hand toward these 40 and under? Brother French, help me pray. Come on. You, we're, we represent, I'm the old guy and he's the young guy. We're going to pray for everybody here. Brother French, start us off and pray for these Lord, right now I pray that there would be a passion that would build in the heart of every young person. Lord, every young adult God, every middle-aged individual. I pray that there would be a steadfast commitment that would build in our spirit, Lord. I pray that we would commit ourselves to the harvest. I pray we would commit our finances. I pray that we would commit our time, our talents, our energy, Lord. I pray that we would put you first in every area of our lives. I pray that there would be nothing in this world that would hold more value to us than the kingdom of God. I pray that we would never put our trust in things that will rust and decay, but that our faith would be completely in you, Lord. I pray that we would store up treasures in heaven, O oh God. Lord, I pray that we would step into heavenly places, God. I pray that ministries would be birthed. I pray that anointings would grow, Lord God. I pray that there would be young preachers and young ministers, Lord, that would be raised up. I pray, oh God, that there would be Sunday school teachers. I pray that there would be young professionals that would keep the kingdom of God first. I pray you bless their finances. I pray that you would give them good measure, pressed down and shaken together. I pray, oh Lord, you'd honor their heart, God. I pray you bless their children. 
I pray, oh God, that you would keep their children in truth. I pray that you give us a love for holiness, a love for righteousness, God. I pray, oh God, that we would be prayer warriors. I pray, Lord, that we would not have to be pushed and begged to be faithful. But I pray that it would be deep down in our bones. I pray that the Holy Ghost would be like fire shut up in our very bones, oh God. I pray that we would not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But I pray, Lord, that we would be strong in our faith. I pray that we would study to show ourselves approved. I pray, oh God, that we would be proficient in the word. And I pray it all in the name of Jesus. I pray it in the name of Jesus. I pray that there would be young soul winners that would win their parents and their grandparents. I pray that there would be soul winners who would win their co-workers to the Lord. I pray that there would be soul winners in this altar who would win their classmates to the Lord because they are salt and light in a dark world. I ask it right now humbly, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I pray that we would not be conformed to this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I need the elders to reach their hands up. Find, find somebody younger than you and reach out and lay hands on them. Let's, let's get a little apostolic authority going here. Find somebody you can, you can pray with for just a moment. That's it. Father, we pray as elders that our young people will never abandon holiness, that they will never abandon the altars, They'll never abandon the power of the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. I pray that you'll lift them into your presence and that you'll use them. You'll call them to preach and call them to minister and to touch this generation, to touch young people in schools and colleges and up and down the streets and in the businesses. Let us be witnesses of your glory. Lord, don't ever let us walk away from the touch of God, but let us hunger for it as never before. Guide us and touch us and keep us. Praise God. Lord, don't let us run from the challenge of revival and the challenge of a church that's filled with revival. Lord, let us be hungering as we never have before. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we long for it. We're hungering for it. Yes, Lord. Lord, take the hunger of our soul and let us commit to revival, to souls.